today, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. As we're marching through Philippians, we begin chapter 2, verse 12 with the word therefore. That word therefore means it ties into the previous passage, to the previous connecting points, which talked about Jesus being our great example. And so as Jesus is our great example, therefore, Paul is going to lay out for us what we're supposed to do. I had real trouble coming up with the main idea of the text this time. And so I have a couple of options for you. You've got two you, you can choose from. One, I like the way work out what God has worked in you defines what we're going to see in 12 and 13. Because we're going to see this, this juxtaposition, we're going to see this divine sovereignty and this human responsibility hitting up against one another as we talk about working out our salvation as God works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we've got some errors that we have to avoid. We have some landmines that we have to walk through. We, we have to be very careful walking on one side too closely to human responsibility and to a works-based orientation and step on a landmine that thinks salvation means justification or salvation means that moment of salvation and that we in our minds start thinking these verses mean we have something to do with our justification. The only thing we bring to justification is the sin that mandates we need a savior. We are not in any way, and neither is Paul, endorsing a works-based salvation. He's saying, though, after you are saved, after you are justified, after you are declared righteous, after you are adopted into the family of God, then sanctification, that lifelong journey of growing closer to God, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we work out, but then on the other side is what God has worked in. I can't do it by myself. God has done it on the cross. He has accomplished it all. It is the free gift of salvation. When we allow scripture to interpret scripture, which is good, proper hermeneutic principles, we think about Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a free gift of God. That's what it is. And so we recognize here that it's God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, there's an error on this side too, though. So you say, wait a second, if we're over here and we believe in a works-based salvation or we drift into a legalism of we have to work our way through it all, that's a problem. So let's push too far to the other side. But too far on the other side comes this philosophy that you hear sometimes of let go and let God, of sit back and do nothing and God's going to take care of it all as though we don't have to do anything to grow in our faith as though we don't have to do anything to live the Christian life in the right way. And there's an error there too, and I call it laziness. Basically, anything in life that is good, you have to work for it. I have a sin nature. That means I need to wake up every morning and get in the Word of God and read the Word of God. I need to pray to God. I need to ask for the Spirit that lives within me to help me. I need to ask God to give me the very desires to want to do these things. Because the natural bent of my heart is away from it. So two errors. We have to avoid legalism. We have to avoid a works-based salvation. We have to avoid laziness. And that whole philosophy of I don't have to do anything, God's going to take care of it all. Because this philosophy, I believe, may be more dangerous for us. And that in this philosophy over here, God's going to do it all. We believe in a sovereign God. But then we never read our Bibles. We never own our faith. We never understand theology. 
We never are able to live out our theology in a way that we can defend it amongst others. And then we are blown to and fro because we are babes spiritually in Christ and we haven't firmly rooted ourselves. So that's why I really like this first one. But I'm preaching more than 12 and 13. It goes in 14 and it says, as you continue in verse 14 there, that we should do all things without grumbling and complaining. All things without grumbling and disputing. So that we could be blameless and innocent children of God, living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights in the world. So here the second one kind of pulls that in a little more. Cultivate, work it out. You know how you cultivate the land. There's work required there. You don't just throw out seed and say, okay, it'll grow. You have to do work to cultivate. You can't make it happen, but you have to cultivate it. And then you have to display it. So, so take your pick. Cultivate and display the faith God has given you. Let me give you your points before we read our text and then we'll walk through. Be working with the caveats here. We're not talking about a works-based salvation. We're talking about working out the salvation that God has already given us. Be different because we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, a twisted generation. We should be different as Christians. People should look at us and they should say, you're odd, you're different. And we as followers of Christ should be okay with knowing that we're different. And we should look out at the world and see how the world acts and we should be okay with knowing that they act the way they act because they are fallen and they are slave to sin and they have not been freed by the grace of Jesus Christ and it's our job to bring the good news to them that you can be free, different. And then we're to be joyful. Even in the midst of suffering, we should be joyful. Let's read our text and then we'll walk through it with these three points. Chapter two, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, let's march through this just a little bit here. So point number one, be working. As we look at be working, we begin with the word therefore. Therefore pulls in the context. It tells us that Christ is our great example because we have him as the great example of humility and seeking to serve others. Therefore, and he says, my beloved, this my beloved is Paul writing to people he genuinely cares for. This is a text that goes forth with love. He's saying, I love you. And because I love you, I need to tell you these things. It's a passionate concern, just like your faculty and your staff members here at Cedarville have a passionate concern to make sure each one of you is grounded in your faith before you leave after your 1,000 days here. 
We do you a disservice if we don't constantly ingrain in you the fundamentals of the faith and what you must do in order to live life. Right now, you have chapel five days a week. You have a Bible minor. You have Christian community all around. That's not going to be what you face when you step out in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And if you don't develop that quiet time, if you don't develop that Bible reading plan, if you don't develop that meditation on the Word, those spiritual disciplines in your life now, then my fear is you leave here and you dry up, you get off on the wrong course, you end up not following Christ. And so you've got to make sure you get those spiritual disciplines. You've got a thousand days, ingrain them deeply in your heart, which is working out your own salvation. So I say to you this morning, my beloved, work out your own salvation. Now, Paul here says to them, as you have obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. We recognize this. This is an issue. How many of you tend to slack off a little more when nobody's watching? How many of you tend to drive a little faster when there are no police cars around? Yeah, uh-huh. We do it. We all do it. It's our sin nature. It's a great proof of our sin nature, in fact. That when we know there's a policeman pulling up behind us, we all of a sudden act differently. If you're in town here, you might pull your seatbelt over because you didn't have it fastened as you were supposed to. Or you might hit the brakes because you know that you need to be driving a little bit slower. You might put your hands up on the steering wheel at 10 and 2 instead of driving with one finger at the bottom of the wheel as you're accustomed to doing sometimes. You might put down that device that's in your hand that's not supposed to be in your hand from when you were texting to somebody, which you should never do while you're driving a car or checking email or whatever. Oh, I got to put that down. I'm not supposed to be on that. We act differently when the policeman is beside us. We act differently even in our athletics when the coach is looking at us. There's a little bit of extra effort that goes into whatever's taking place when the coach's eyes are staring right on you. You study harder when you know the teacher's attention is focused on you. In everything, when somebody's watching us, there's a difference. Even when kids are watching there's a difference in the way we talk or in the things we say. And so here he's saying, in my absence as well, you obey. Why? Because there's a theological principle here that God is everywhere. God is always watching. God knows. So theologically, we are never out of the escape of the eyes of God. Whatever you do, whether in darkness or in light, whether to the ends of the earth, God knows. So obey even in absence as much as in presence. And then he says here for you to work out your own salvation, work out. We are in the perfect place to talk about working out. We are in the middle of a field house with a gym right behind us and exercise equipment all around, work out. But think about it. Everything that you wanna do in life, you have to work towards. I wanna be an engineer. Well, here's a hundred and a gazillion hours that you have to take in order to pass all these extra hard math classes to be an engineer. I want to be a nurse. You have to do all these things to be a nurse. I want to star in the play, but I don't want to memorize all the lines and I really don't care where I'm supposed to be on the stage and I don't really care about the other actors. Well, guess what? You're not starring in the play. How many hours? I don't understand how you all do it when you start in a play and memorize all of those lines that you have to memorize and spend all those hours practicing and still keep your grades up. I want to be in good shape. Okay, what's your plan? Oh, my plan is I'm going to do back and biceps on Monday. I'm going to do chest and triceps on Wednesday. I'm going to do legs and shoulders on Thursday. And I'm going to do cardio on Tuesday and Thursday. 
That's my plan. That's what I try to do. What is it in your life that you really want? I want to run a marathon. I don't, all right? I have no desire to run a marathon. Some of you do. Some of you want to run fast. And you're 18 to 22. Some of you could wake up tomorrow and decide to go run a marathon and go run a marathon. That won't last. When you're my age, you don't wake up and decide to go run a marathon. You, you, if you do, you're going to end up somewhere hurt on the side of the road before you make it to the end of the marathon. You put a schedule out. I'm going to run and I'm going to work my way up and I'm going to build my way up. So that marathon that you're shooting for as your goal begins a long time before that. And what I want to get into your heads this morning is that we are to work out our salvation. So our goal is let's be good followers of Christ. Our goal is let's change the world with our lives. Our goal is to influence other people. But that influencing other people, that working out of the gospel starts when we work every single day in our prayer closets with our Bibles open, reading and meditating and memorizing the word of God, knowing that God works in us before God works through us. God works in us before God works through us. And that sometimes means that we're gonna go through trials that will increase and deepen our faith before we can minister to others to help them with trials to deepen their faith. We have to be ready to work. So are you ready to work? I said this to most of you when you first came to Cedarville. At first opening night, it's always one of the main points I have to say, God has no spiritual grandchildren. As we transition from this first part to the second part, it says work out your own salvation and it says do it with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you. It doesn't say it's mom and dad who works in you. It doesn't say it's your teacher who works in you. As much as mom and dad may love you, as much as the teacher may love you, as much as that staff member may love you, as much as that RD may love you, as much as we may wanna invest in your life, your first responsibility is to have the relationship with God so that God works in you. Your first thought should be to go to God. I've got a problem. God, what do I do? I need to understand this. God, help me understand this. I need wisdom. God, grant me wisdom. It's fine to seek counsel from those around you, but your first inclination, your first thought should be I go to God first for God's the one that loves me unconditionally that is working in my life that is changing me for his will and his good pleasure now think about this we're working out what God has worked in and it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling this next part tells us says God who works in us both to will so even the desire that I may have to read my Bible is a good gift from God the desire I may have to memorize a text is a good gift from God. The desire I may have to listen to Christian worship, to sing praises to God is a gift from God. He gives us the will to do these good things. Now, if God is pushing in us to have the will to do something good and we just lazily say no, what are we doing? We are saying no to the God of the universe, the God who humbled himself and became a servant, came in the likeness of man, humbled himself to the point of death, death on the cross, that universal majesty, the king of all kings. And we're saying to him as he puts his will in us, no, I'm not gonna do it. I don't have time. There's a new Call of Duty game out. You don't understand, it's really important. Or I have to study, or I need to go to Young's and eat ice cream, or I have this going on, or my friends, or I have this going on. 
And so we choose our friends or we choose an event or we choose some pleasure over the God of the universe putting a desire in us to study the word, to memorize the word, to meditate on the word, to sing praises to him, to pray to him, to have Christian community with, with authentic, strategic conversation around spiritual growth. Can I just drive deeper and say to you, work out your own salvation. We can't do it for you. Your mom and dad can't do it for you. God has no spiritual grandchildren. You have to own it. Own your relationship with God. Own your theology before God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling and all. God, I can't believe that you, the God of the universe, cares enough to give me even a, a small passion for the gospel. You give me even a small passion for your word. God, I'm a rebel against the king. My heart is deceitfully wicked. And yet, God, in, in your mercy and grace, you allow me to have some desire to pursue you. Oh, we should grab a hold of that and cling to it. As God's grace and mercy in my life and your life, that we have any desire whatsoever not to absolutely run away and destroy our lives, but with fear and trembling to pursue God. For it's God who works in us, both for his will and his work for his good pleasure. Now that last phrase, spent too much time on the early part, I can't spend a lot of time there. But that last phrase, for his pleasure, is key to understanding this. Because what this means is, is if I'm asking God for the wrong things, God, give me an easy life. God, give me a whole lot of money. God, give me all of the possessions that the world has to offer. God, give me all the pleasures of the world. If I'm asking for the wrong things, don't expect a yes on those things. We're asking for all the wrong things. God's gonna work in us for his good pleasure. All right, we move to point number two. Be different. Now, this is hard. This first part's really hard. Because how is it that we're supposed to be mature followers of Christ? We work out our own salvation, not legalism, but we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in us, not laziness. We're going to work, recognizing and giving glory to God. It's not legalism. How do we do this? What are some, some give me some specific application, Paul. Here you go. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, complaining. Maybe a word that we know even better. Now that's hard. How many of you like to grumble and complain? How many of you actually really enjoy complaining? It, all right, now, not very many of you raised your hands, but thank you for the four honest people that are out there in the audience right now. Because we do. And right now, as I look at you with your mask on, it's a very real reality in my mind of how much I like to grumble and complain. About what? About COVID, about mask, about social distancing, about all the things we're living life with right now. And this text says, all things. It's easy for me not to complain when everything goes my way. It's easy for me not to grumble with others when everything goes my way. But this grumbling and complaining 
And then later, this crooked and twisted generation hearkened back to Deuteronomy. It reminds us of the children of Israel. And of the children of Israel, we read about them. And when we read about them, we make fun of them in some senses, even in our own mind, because we say, you had all those plagues. And then you came out and you went through the Red Sea. And after you go through the Red Sea, God provides you with manna from heaven and you get water out of rocks and stuff like that. Bitter waters turn to sweet water. And then you still grumble and complain against Moses. How dare you grumble and complain when God has done such mighty miracles in your midst. And then we turn right around after God has done such mighty miracles in our own hearts and we grumble and complain about everything. Listen, we, we, we don't have it tough. We have the freedom together like this in our country and worship God and praise God and read his words. And we don't have to worry about anybody coming to throw us in jail, persecute us or kill us for the gospel. We are blessed. And yet it's really, really hard to do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now there's a question here and I don't have an answer for you. Is the grumbling and complaining against others or against God? I don't know and Paul doesn't say. Maybe it's both. Maybe he knows that we like to grumble and complain against other people and what they're doing and we also like to grumble and complain against God. God, why? Did you not give me the desires of my heart? God, why did you not allow me to receive this? God, why, why God? And we ask all of these questions, why God? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Now this doesn't mean that you're gonna be absolutely perfect. It means that you're gonna be above reproach. And it says here that you are children of God, children of God. Now that brings to mind some thoughts. Like one of the thoughts is God, why? would you work in me? And the only answer for why God would work in us is because God loves us. So think about this fact for just a moment. God knows you. He knows your deepest, darkest thoughts. He knows the thoughts that you would never speak because you know how bad they are. He knows your sinful tendencies. He knows how broken you are in your life and he loves you completely anyway. He knows all of that and yet he still works in you for his good pleasure because you are a child of God if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in him. You are adopted into the family of God with an unconditional love. So if you're out there right now and you're wondering, does anybody love me? God does. If you're wondering, does anybody know my deepest, darkest secrets and would they love me anyway? God does. He knows that and he still loves you. You can't let the lies of the devil tell you nobody cares about you or nobody loves you or that you're not worthy because the word of God has already told you that God loves you. You are a child of God. You are a child of the king adopted into his family. You cannot be pushed out of his family and he works in you for his good pleasure and for your benefit. That God loves you that much. And if you don't take anything else away today, realize that the God that loves you unconditionally has said he's gonna work in you and he wants you to work as well for your sanctification, for your conforming to Jesus, for your furtherance in your walk with Christ. We're supposed to be children of God without blemish. Now, this is interesting. In the midst of, of a crooked and perverse generation, a crooked and twisted generation. Now he never says here to isolate ourselves from that generation. He says it's in the midst. So be prepared. 
Our expectation from Scripture is that we are to be that blameless child of God. Later, he's going to tell us that we're shining as lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So if it's a crooked and twisted generation, here's what we have to know. We cannot trust the world. In fact, when, when the devil was tempting Jesus in Luke 4, I, I was reading this just the other day in my quiet time. He says to him, I will give you the authority. Jesus is what the devil says in the temptation. Because the authority of this world has been given to him. If the authority of this world has been granted to the devil, then the authorities and the powers and all of the things in this world that are out there, we cannot trust them and be ignorant we live in the midst of a twisted and a perverse generation and we need to be wise as serpents and harmless or innocent as doves as we live in this world and recognize that sinners are gonna be sinners. Lost people are gonna be lost people. And for us to expect them to act any differently is not fair of them because they can't. We're putting a weight on their shoulders they can't bear. But that doesn't mean we have to be unaware because we live in the midst of that crooked and twisted generation and we shine as lights in the world. Now he doesn't tell you to shine, he states that you shine. You have a light within you that shines in the darkness. That light brings light to that area. The question is how bright is your light gonna shine? Paul says this, he says, you do this holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That holding fast, that's good. Or holding forth, some translations may say, hold forth in evangelism, hold fast in clinging for your faith. I'll come back to that in a point of application. Let me quickly mention this last point, be joyful. So often we think about suffering. When we think about suffering, we think it's bad. We don't want anything to do with it. Paul here says, even if I'm being poured out, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Even if my life is being spent for you, even if I die and don't make it, what do you do? I'm glad and rejoice, Paul says. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Do you have a biblical view of suffering to say that sometimes suffering allows God to work deeper in our lives or in those around us? That sometimes suffering provides an opportunity for the gospel to go forth and that we handle it differently? Be joyful. All right, let me give you some application questions as we wrap this up. These are some questions that write them down, pull out your phone, take a picture, whatever you can do. Ask yourself these questions. Think about these questions. First question, are you working to grow your faith while avoiding legalism? And you know, sometimes it's really easy for us to work so hard in our faith that we don't understand why nobody else is working in their faith. And then we become these legalistic Nazis that walk around and go around and don't understand everybody else and you're so hard to live with and nobody likes you because nothing can be lived up to your standard and all of a sudden we've become like one of the Pharisees. When we work out our salvation, we do so from humility, recognizing it's God that works in us. It's God that even gave us the desire to work out that salvation. It's God that's allowing us to learn these things and to grow in our faith. We don't do so from a legalism. Legalism will kill. Do you give God the glory when you're growing in your faith? Now, this is tough for us too, because when we memorize something, we get prideful about it. 
When we start being spiritually more mature, we get prideful about our spiritual maturity. Oh, well, I'm just so sorry. That person's not on my spiritual level. Once they get to my spiritual level, then they're going to act in a different way. And that spiritual arrogance doesn't recognize that we're to give God the glory for everything in our lives that is good because all we contribute is the stuff that is bad. Are you growing spiritually in your life without being cynical and without becoming lazy and without becoming prideful and arrogant to look down on others and criticize them. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. God, forgive us all, because I guarantee you there's not a person in this room right now that has done this this year. We have grumbled and complained about something. We vote next Tuesday. We're grumbling and complaining already about that. These are the best two candidates you could give us, Lord? All right. Be joyful in all things. I just grumbled and complained in a sermon about not grumbling and complaining. It's, God, forgive me. All right. Are you holding fast to God's word or something else? Are you clinging to God's word? Is that where you go or are you clinging to something else? Where do you go when you're in trouble? What are you clinging to? Your own intellect, your own abilities, mom and dad, somebody else, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Are you clinging to the word of God? What's your rock that you hold on to? And do you view suffering as positive in the right context? All right. Choose your main idea. Work out what God has worked in. Context of sanctification, not justification. Cultivate and then display the faith that God has given you. Oh God, this is hard for us. We cannot do it without the power of your spirit working in us. We cannot do it without you, Lord, working in us to give us the will and desire to do this. So we ask today that you would grant to all of us the desire to please you, change our hearts so that our affections are for the right things and not the wrong things. And Lord, help us to give you glory when you do that. Lord, use us to shine as lights in the midst of this world. From this place to the ends of the world, Lord, would you use us for your honor, for your glory, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you are dismissed.